I see eco-villages at all that can really address all of the problems that society is facing, if that's not too much of a grandiose statement. You know, the eco-village movement and permaculture has been going for decades now, in, in, and it's kind of like this mycelium network around the world. You know, it's, it's everywhere. There's people have done permaculture courses, you know, in 170 countries at, at least that we know of, if not more, and, you know, there's eco-villages all around the world. Welcome to the very first of uh, hopefully a long series of podcasts by Eco Village Voice. And today with me, I have Mike New and Morag Gamble. So Mike runs a multifaceted organization, the Wild Community Solutions Hub, provides services, education, coaching, business incubation, a design center of excellence and impact assessment to the fund, foundation and villages. The Wild Community Eco Village Foundation is a not-for-profit foundation that builds eco-villages in areas that are most needed. The Wild Community Eco Village Fund is an eco-village investment fund to allow real estate and impact investors an opportunity to invest in green development and social change. And Wild Open is a collaborative crowdsource online media platform for eco-awareness and rewilding. And that's, that's a whole lot of stuff you're doing there, Mike. Yeah, look, it's, it's really interesting. Both, both organizations at the moment are, in, are very much in startup mode. The concept behind Wild Community is, or where it came from, basically was looking at the world and how we address the kind of the, the problems that we have in the world at the moment around food security and 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 livelihoods and um you know the the both the economic but also the environmental issues that we're facing um i was looking at a way to address them from a kind of holistic perspective um and my experience in eco villages just kept on coming back to me because if we when we design an eco village well we're actually addressing all 17 sustainability development goals. Eco-villages for me are kind of like the tool that I want to really use to create, in, in my words, like a healthy society. You know, how can we go back to our roots? How can we take the best of traditional kind of village living and combine that with the best of modern technology and really live a life that's the kind of life that I want to live, but it's the kind of legacy that I want to leave for my children and their children. So that's where the concept of of villages came from. Yeah, so eco-villages are the tool that I've decided to, to help create a, a healthy society and wild community is kind of the concept to scale that, not just build one village, but hopefully build thousands of them around the world. Fantastic. And I'd like to introduce Morag Gamble, who's my neighbour. We're living in Crystal Waters eco-village. Morag Gamble is a global permaculture and eco-village ambassador who has lived for over two decades in Crystal Waters Permaculture Village, a UN award-winning eco-village in Australia. Since the early 90s, she's educated permaculture teachers and leaders on six continents, founded the Permaculture Education Institute, and mentors women, youth, and local farmers through her permaculture charity, Ethos Foundation. And she also is involved in the Perma Youth Movement, Morag shares permaculture widely through her YouTube channel, Our Permaculture Life, 
which has over two and a half million views, as well as her popular blog, Our Permaculture Life, and a new podcast, Permaculture in a Changing World. Yes, she's a very, very busy bee. She also founded the Northy Street City Farm in Brisbane and uh, the Community Gardens Network. So welcome, Morag. So how's things going over around the corner, Morag? Well, it's, it's a really interesting time, isn't it? And uh, particularly at the moment when we're in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis and what I've been realising is that for all these years, working towards being, a, you know, like trying to be a change maker. And so many of us who have been involved in the permaculture movement or the eco-millage movement are trying to bring about positive change in the world. That's always been what our kind of identity, what we hook ourselves around is thinking about, okay, what is the change that we need to see in the world and how can we help to, you know, um, demonstrate that, engage people in that, you know, show that there's another way possible. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I live in an eco-village is, it's a way to actually show this kind of cohesive way that's looking at local community, local economy, restoring local environments, and people can come in and experience that, and it's a way to kind of ripple it out. But kind of everything shifted in these last couple of weeks. That change has happened. Everything has changed. Um, our economy has changed. Our communities have changed. The way that we think, like people have gone out and bought all the seeds and the seedlings and are growing vegetables. So what, what I'm kind of feeling like we need to do right now is to really fill this pause with a moment of, of deep reflection about what's meaningful and to really look closely at some of the great examples that particularly eco-religious and the permaculture movement and the transition town movement have offered over these last decades and what of those are really useful to move forward and how can we speak up at this point and so that's kind of what I'm spending my time on and, and, and being present. So rather than trying to push for change, I see myself now shifting from being that to being a responder. And, you know, it's someone was talking last night, I was on another call and uh, sort of the example of, oh, we're, the transformation of moving from a caterpillar to a butterfly. We, we're in this process of change. But what often we forget is that actually when the caterpillar is inside the chrysalis, it doesn't just kind of grow wings and then fly away. It's not a slow transition. The caterpillar goes to mush and the whole thing is fluid. And then out of that fluidity, something new evolves and emerges. And, and so I kind of feel that we're in this, we're in the mush. We're, we're in that state of fluidity. And that right now, uh, those of us who I guess have been working in this for quite some time, it's a really great time to to speak out and to speak clearly and to be calmly offering some insights about what are the way, because, you know, I'll just finish with this point as the intro, that what I've noticed is that in this eco-village that we live in, life kind of continues on pretty normally. You know, I go out to the garden and harvest my food, go down to the local farmer, pick up the eggs, down there milking the cows once every two weeks. You know, the kids are homeschooling, I work from home, um, you know, life continues. And what it makes me realise that actually it's a very resilient way to live. It's a very low impact and resilient way to live that it has shock resistance built into it. And that's a kind of a really, like to be able to communicate that I think is a really important thing to show at this time. And similarly, I was just talking to a regenerative um, food organisation, um, Food Connect in Brisbane, 
the other day, or yesterday actually, and they were saying their business has um, quadrupled in the last week or so. And so if you're in the regenerative culture or the regenerative farming or regenerative enterprises, you are now flourishing, well, more so than if, if you're not. And uh, it's an interesting, interesting time. It makes us rethink everything and uh, put, it puts eco-villages and permaculture and all of that very much in, in clear perspective of its value and its importance in the world today. Indeed, yeah. And you almost uh, answered the first question that I was going to ask, which is how do eco-villages uh, play a part in this um, new situation that we find ourselves in? And personally, I actually started Eco-Village Voice because of the belief that eco-villages are a way forward for the future, for the, the whole world, really. So you, you've answered part of that, and I know Mike will answer a bit more, but just focusing on that, I know it's hard to solve the COVID-19 uh, situation, but we can certainly make more sustainable lifestyle choices, even if you're in a city. Maybe for viewers <clears throat> that don't know what an eco-village is, for me, an eco-village is a combination of many things. It's land regeneration, it's local farming and food security, housing, green energy, local jobs and resilience. And there's so much more, so much more about it as well. So in our kind of view of an eco-village, we would have you know, the housing, the farming, a small business centre, like maybe a maker space, so spaces for shared workshops and things along those lines. Whatever green energy works there, solar panels, etc. But also the eco-village is the people and the community of people and creating ways of living together, ways of making decisions in a, in a good way, ways of resolving conflict in a good way, ways of celebrating and, and, and making friends and relying on each other establishing a sharing economy within the eco-village so that, you know, one simple example is, you know, every home doesn't need a lawnmower. We can share resources like that. So that's kind of my, you know, high-level perspective of an eco-village. And for me, the, one of the goals of an eco-village is to be self-sustainable as much as we possibly can. It's, it's potentially, especially depending on the scale of the village, how many people are living there, it may not be achievable. But I think it can be perfectly achievable to, to be sustainable around energy, to be growing most of our food. And in the age of coronavirus and COVID-19, I think one of the ways that eco uh, you know, very much benefits and helps to lessen the impact, if not solve the, solve the situation, is through you know, isolation of that group of people. So that group of people is very much, you know, can, can start to self-isolate as as families, but also as the whole village and support each other through whatever's, you know, whatever challenge each other's going through at the time. Food is growing locally, then, you know, there are less, cheap, there are less trips to the shop or, you know, bulk orders can be placed for delivery. Then, you know, that just makes the whole self-isolation simple uh, or easier, I should say. <laughs> the other thing is the camaraderie amongst the people in the in the village a lot of people are going through a lot of stress at the moment around just being in isolation and how and living alone but if you're in a natural environment surrounded by people that you know and that you care for and that care for you then whilst 
still having to potentially self-isolate within the village. But if enough people isolate for, say, two weeks, then the whole village could be, you know, wouldn't have to self-isolate amongst themselves. So I think exactly what Mike was just saying is what we're seeing happen here. And, and so Crystal Waters has been around for 30 years and I hear sometimes people complaining, oh, there's not enough community here or it's not, it's not what I expected. But it kind of goes through waves of being more intensely community and less intense community. And what I'm feeling now is that because there is that connection here, We've now deepened our relationships because we already do have those strong relationships. And it was easy just to snap it into something that was more relevant to today's situation. And, you know, very quickly, we now have those bulk buying groups. If, you know, we've set up mutual aid groups. If someone's going to town, they'll get stuff for everyone. If someone, um, you know, like I went down to the local farm and I put out a, you know, shared order for, for eggs and that was supporting the local farmer as well because they were normally supplying their unders and overs, the bigs and the littles, to restaurants. Restaurants are all closed. So it's not only just being self-sufficient in our own little bubble, but it's actually thinking about our bioregion and being very much an integrated part of that and supporting the regenerative things that are happening um, in our context. And I think that's a really amazing thing. And, and that sort of support for community is there too, what I'm finding, because people are more slowing down they're going out for walks and we're meeting each other on the street we're not so you know even in an eco village you can still have lots of busy things that you do all the time and you might not connect as much and so um, you know there's so many projects to get involved in, in the world and i'm finding i'm out walking about meeting people talking you know just checking in how are you going what's up can i help you um some of the people i know who've, who don't have gardens um have been popping over one at a time into my place and i'm sending them away with like a survival pack of you know all these cuttings from my garden all the perennial plants things you can just whack in the garden and get an get instant food pretty much and so you know all these things that this are just starting to happen easily because we have the platform of the the eco village connection and and i think that you don't have to live in an eco-village for that to happen. But if you have an eco-village way of thinking and you apply that to whether you're in a town or in a city, then that can roll out. And that's actually really where the Northeast Street City Farm model came from was we wanted to start an eco-village in Brisbane, but it was all too hard at the time, you know, 25 years ago. So what is the easy way that we can build community? If that's actually what we really want. We, the community was the main thing that we can come together to create a more sustainable way of living in the city. And so, um, yeah, so all of those things started to roll out from that. And uh, it's kind of, it's just amazing, really, that it, you know, I wish it didn't take a crisis for us to really activate in this way, but maybe it's kind of shining a bit of a mirror on what is possible and what is, what is the way that we really value, like what, you know, I've been having discussions with a group lately, the Warm Data Group, which is based on Nora Bateson's work. And, and um, you know, the questions we've been having conversations around, uh, what is essential? And it brings us often a lot back to the things that we find just as an everyday thing within eco-village and permaculture living, which, which is what I really love. And when I say permaculture, I'm, I'm thinking permaculture and its connectedness with with other people with neighbors with 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 the broader community as well so um you know not just uh, what you do in your own backyard i think permaculture particularly the way david holden's explaining it recently you know through his retro suburbia model that's that's really eco village living in the suburbs 
And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind, that it's not just this thing out there that people go away to do somewhere if they can afford to have land. It's, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of being. It's a way of connecting and relating and sharing and, and opening to the possibilities of what community can bring into our lives <clears throat> in all different aspects of it. Yeah, beautiful, Morag. I think it's definitely, definitely a lifestyle and an, and an attitude. And you've touched a couple of times on the, you know, one of the golden opportunities that this situation brings us is a way of rethinking how we live as a, as a whole society. Um, Cause pretty much everything's getting challenged. And it's, it's a bit of a, it seems a bit of a pity to me that sometimes it takes big shocks for people and society to make big changes. I was kind of hoping the bushfires in Australia might, might do that for Australians. But, you know, I guess it's been quickly followed up by the coronavirus. And in this time where a lot of people have spare time and are staying at home and um, have a lot of time to think, you know, it's kind of, I do hope people have a think about how they're living now that the lack of resilience or the brittleness of the way society is structured is really being brought to the fore. I, I really hope people have a, re- a think about how they're living and what changes we could make individually, but also as a society to get to where we really want to be. The, the vulnerability and the resi- um, that sort of the brittleness that you were saying, and that's come up a lot for me um, and also in conversations that I've been having with many people and said, the thing that our whole society is based around the just-in-time model and the, you know, like the so-called efficiencies in just-in-time, whereas actually where the where permaculture and the and um, eco-village way of living is really about abundance and connection. And, you know, like you walk out into the gardens that surround you here and there's abundance. You, you, it's not, not a just-in-time delivery. And, and, you know, just from the toilet paper example, you know, you, you pre-order boxes of who gives a crap toilet paper. So you've got a box load out the back hallway and, you know, you bulk order as a community thinking the way that you operate in the world is not in a just-in-time way. It is actually in a, in a resilience way so that you can resist the shocks. And often people do that too because um, they're choosing to live in a way that's not about a high consumption and, and high income. It's about a, a, a wealth in a different way. And when you live in that way, you kind of realise that it's the, the feeling, your real security comes from deeper connection with community and surrounding yourself with knowing you can meet your needs simply and easily, not necessarily with, um, with cash to do that. And I think that's a really interesting sort of shifting the way that we perceive what wealth and security is and shifting that more towards having local abundance and a strong community. Jumping back to what you were saying about the localization aspect, just on the way to your place, uh, which is a 15-minute walk, I, ha- I think I had about five conversations of people just passing by. And it was like, wow, this is <laughs> it, it's interesting and amazing how things like that happen. We're connecting with people, just walking down the road suddenly becomes a big thing. On a separate point, the feeling that I'm getting on social media or what I'm observing on social media at the moment is there's an upswing of hope that out of this darkness will come some really good things. And, you know, people are putting forward that it is actually helping the environment 
but then I'm seeing other articles saying, well, hmm, kind of not. Um, but I think going forward, however many months this is going to take, is to actually start really focusing on those solutions and spreading that knowledge. And I think what we've got here is a practical example and various other eco-villages and intentional communities actually offer very visible examples of how life could be different, even in cities and, and you know, things like the LA eco-village. I kind of think that there is that upswing of hope, but also the upswing of like the reconnection with our place and noticing different things. Like you're saying, because we're slowing down, we're noticing other people, we're noticing nature more, we're noticing, you know, yesterday there was this little flowering vine that we were walking past and there must have been 50 blue butterflies just flying around it. And, and then we went for a swim in the, in the lake here at Crystal Waters and I was floating, looking up at the sky, noticing, noticing the sky more in detail than I had. And then these blue um, dragonflies were just kind of hovering around me. And, and just as we slow down and we connect more and we notice more stuff around us, we become, you know, we feel an awe for the natural world that we often forget to, to do when we're kind of so busy coming back at that, that slowing down. And I, and I often reflecting on, imagine if you're a child in, say, for example, Delhi or Beijing, and all you've ever known is haze. And all of a sudden now you look out and you see blue sky. You can see to the end of the street. You can see the trees in their wholeness, not kind of disappearing into a haze. You can, at nighttime, you can look up and see the stars. You know, they would have never, ever have seen that before. Can you imagine the profound impact that this is having on them right now? So if you're in Venice and you look out the window and you can see clear water and dolphins swimming up through the middle of that. I'm, everywhere we're hearing stories of this very rapid change in the natural world the, of nature repairing itself or nature cleaning because we don't have this. And, you know, we can feel even where we are, even we, we live in a relatively um, natural place, that there's a crispness to the air and a clarity to the sky that maybe we've not seen for a while, particularly because we've had the bushfires. And so it's a remarkable thing. And I think somewhere deep even if it's not on a, on a said level, it's not necessarily being talked about a lot. The change in the environment and our connection with the natural world is having a, a profound impact on us and the generation that, that are experiencing this as a child. Like I'm imagining what my children are thinking about what's happening and like the children in, in Beijing, the children in India who are growing up through this and what changes. You know, like I've, I've met young people who um, grew, who were very young at the time of... Um, Fukushima, for example, and how that transformed them in an instant, what they chose to do with their life. So what is this moment of change doing to transform how people are thinking what they want to do with their lives? Not just us as adults, but the young people, teenagers, you know, the young people having a pause from school now. They're not just going to sit there and twiddle their thumbs. They're going to do other stuff too and they're going to think about other stuff and have conversations with other people that they don't normally get a chance to have conversations with, read things that they and ponder things that they don't normally have the space to do in life because they've been made so busy and filled up with non-important stuff quite often. So I think we're going to have see a massive shift that we don't even really realise what that shift is going to be yet. I feel it's a positive shift. As long as we encourage this as much as possible, 
what what does worry me is that the rise in control from governments the kind of the almost fascist control that's coming in of of us that the rights that are being taken away are only momentary that they're not able to be continued because you know we people around the world have fought long and hard for for rights and freedoms that are just being taken away like that i do worry about that a little bit the control you know particularly when i'm talking to to people in you know places like um, Kenya or in refugee camps or even downtown in Barcelona. It's a police state in so many places and people are getting beaten up for stepping out. And so while we can live in our nice little bubbles here in the eco-villages and think, oh, how wonderful it is, that's not the case necessarily with so many other people in the world. And I think we need to keep that in perspective. So while I feel really happy and alive and, and positive, I'm also feeling on the flip side of that, a real sense of fear about what's happening in those kind of contexts. That's probably like my biggest concern as well. Um, yeah, governments tend to take take rights away and then not give them back. There are many people, you know, that I know are very concerned about that. In fact, they're more concerned about that than than the virus. But again, it gives people the time to think and to what they want to do about it. There's lots of conversations going on on the phone and on you know on social media that you know, previously wouldn't have happened because people are just too busy in survival mode, paying the debts and going to work. You know, I have a 23-year-old daughter and she's just had six years of really hard labor at university and working a part-time job. And and now she's finally getting a break and getting to rest and just de-stress from day-to-day living. She's reading books and playing PlayStation, but also decided to learn the guitar. And so there is all those, all those benefits that are coming out of it. Just the de-stressing from day-to-day life, mm-hmm. even though there's a whole bunch of other stresses in, in place as well, is, um, is a nice little reset for everybody. And I think I've just spent like a year in Europe. And most people I, saw, most people I speak to in Europe and, and in Australia that have been living in cities and living the city lives, yeah, have some kind of understanding, even if they can't um, voice it or understand what it is, but have some kind of sense that there's something wrong with the way that we're living in general. Many of them, of course, can voice it, but don't see a way out for themselves, at least right now, personally. And of course, you know, for me, the answer to all that is the, the eco-village lifestyle, of course, whether that's in suburbia with groups of people getting together and, and sharing and building community again, or whether that's, you know, in the rural areas setting up, you know, large-scale eco-villages from scratch. So I think, it, you know, for people like ourselves that are, you know, promoting and, and leaders in some ways in this, in this community eco-village space, it, it presents a really interesting opportunity about how to connect to, you know, how to connect to the mainstream and how to take advantage of this moment of, open-mindedness perhaps (laughs) Um, and the understanding of a need of a need for change Um, so part of the way part of the way we're doing that is with our wild open platform which is it's a bit like wikipedia it's a crowdsourced article publishing platform around rewilding around eco-village lifestyle essentially and you know i'd be really interested in you know how you guys think that we could also encourage and kind of you know, nurture this thought process as well i think it's a i think it's it's happening definitely but the more one of the ways i think that we can nurture it is to share it more 
to share yeah. it, to tell the stories in the papers, to still tell the stories on the news. Um, and, and I was, I've been thinking about, you know, pitching to different, you know, papers like from Guardian to wherever it might be to, to share this story. But, you know, before I even do that, I'm starting to get approached by different things. So, you know, Radio National, I've now got a regular spot on that Radio National to talk about what this means at this time, you know, the mm. eco village and permaculture living. And so there is, there is a call for it. And I've now been invited by, um, there's a new development that's happening just north of Brisbane. And we're now saying, okay, so let's create the farm and the foodscapes and the natural environment as being the core part on which all these, you know, everything else happens around and, and that creates the focus. And so that kind of shifts how things are happening. I got a call the other day from a, from an organization that's dealing with um, mental health for young girls, um, particularly around eating disorders. And then how it's a, it's the first ever residential healing space for young girls just down here on the Sunshine Coast. And they're, they're wanting to create that like an eco village for these young girls because they recognize the healing qualities of that and that that will then train, change the trajectory of their lives. The pause has given the possibility for people to, to go, okay, I now have permission to change course. You know, I, yeah. it's been stopped and I wanted to do that, but I couldn't find the way off yay, now I have a way off and I can actually head in that direction. And I feel like it's given people that, that excuse or the, the reason or the, they don't need the motivation. I think the motivation and the understanding is there quite often. It's just, a, how do we get off this track that I'm on? Well, we've just been shoved off. So now you can do whatever you like. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And I mean, the, the slightly ironic thing is that we can't gather in groups, right? So we can't get on with, well, it's just a different vibe of getting on with community gardening, just like, you know, let's all stay three metres away from each other and bring our own tools. But I think um, we are having better conversations, now deeper conversations than we have for a very yeah. long time. Like every day, several times a day, I'm on a Zoom call with multiple people having really fantastic conversations to help make sense of what's happening in the world from lots of different perspectives. And so I think what this is also teaching us that we're, that we're forced into physical distancing, but it doesn't have to be social distancing. The physical distancing has made us crave that to find that reconnection again, but we get to select what that is. It's, again, it's shifting the type of connections. It's not going down to the local shopping centre and just being in and around other people. We're actually choosing what type of connection that we want to create and what has meaning and purpose for us. And it, and it ends up being the types of communication that we've been trying to motivate and and talk about through the eco village and permaculture movements for a very long time and all of a sudden it's just happening because again we've been shoved off the normal and we have a chance to create a new normal through this well that's fantastic mike and morag it's a great introduction and i think um we'll close off this part of the podcast for the moment and our paid members will join us in the next half hour or so and uh we'll just carry on. It's great to have you with us again. Thanks, Mike, and thanks, Morag. Yeah. I'm really enjoying the conversation too, so that's good. <laughs>